0: this is florida matters i'm matthew petty when tropicana field was built it erased the thriving black neighborhood where saint petersburg mayor ken welch grew up businesses churches and homes were uprooted in the second major disruption for the community after the construction of i-175 an announcement on who will redevelop the site is expected at the end of this month and for welch the city's first african-american mayor the project is personal We visited Welch at his office in City Hall for a conversation about the Tropicana redevelopment, affordable housing, transportation and other challenges facing the city. So you were born in the gas plant district which was bulldozed to make way for Tropicana Field in the 1980s and there is a plan to redevelop the site and African-American groups are pushing for a developer, JMA Ventures, which they say would be sensitive to the needs of the black community. Former Mayor Rick Kreisman chose another developer, Midtown Development, but you and the City Council have the final word I do want to ask what's at stake for this development, but first, can you talk about your family's history and connection to the neighborhood?
1: Absolutely, this is uh, really a, a personal uh, issue for me. Uh, my grandfather's uh, business, he owned a wood yard right at Fifth Avenue and 16th Street South. Uh, and that's where the boys in the family learned how to, how to work. And um, it was part of the greater gas plant community. He was uprooted along with many businesses when I, 175 came through. A few years later, my church, Prayer Tower Church of God in Christ, church I grew up in along with several other churches, businesses, uh, residences, almost a thousand people, um, were uprooted in the pursuit of baseball. And my father was a city councilman at the time. And again, you can imagine him having experienced his own father being dislocated. He was very angry when it first came out and, you know, asked why is the African-American community always uprooted. Uh, Eventually, the promises that were made to the community, number one, you get market value for all those churches, businesses in the relocations. And second, there would be business opportunities, equitable development, entrepreneurship. And as you know, none of those things came to fruition. And so, uh, until he passed in 2013, uh, and he's been quoted several times, he said, you know, that promise uh, has to be made true. Um, and is, of course it hasn't. There've been 85 acres of asphalt around, around Tropicana Field. So, so that's my focus going into this. The Rays are important, but they're not the most important uh, part of this uh, development. This is a generational development. There aren't 86 acres like this anywhere in Pinellas County, probably the state of Florida. And my focus uh, and what I ran on, and so no one should be surprised about this, is that we have equitable development that benefits the entire community and pays respect to the sacrifice that was made by an entire community who lived there because of redlining. So they made that a community. Every, Every level of wealth and income was represented in the gas plant and it was a true community. And going forward, that's my focus. I, I believe the Rays can be a part of that. I believe Tropicana Field will be an excellent location uh, for the Rays in a new stadium that fits what's happening in St. Pete right now. We've got great partnerships with the county commission, uh, which funded a, a, a large part of Tropicana Field through the bed tax. And, you know, we've been focusing these five months, and um, June 6th was our, our fifth month of reconnecting with our county partners reconnecting with city council that they so they feel they're a part of it and i think we're going to have um, success moving forward and i do plan to have uh, a significant announcement about our
0: path forward before june 30th but tropicana this development this is like this is unique to st petersburg and it's personal to you as well absolutely
1: and um, what folks don't understand it was a complete community it was a business community um, just in my family, we, my grandfather had a wood yard before it was moved. His sister had a restaurant. Uh, my uncle uh, on the brown side of the family owned a dry cleaning business. Um, all kinds of commerce were there. Some of those businesses did not recover when they relocated, and so this is why the community benefits agreement is so important. It says that we have to rebuild or pay back to the community when there are significant investments with city contributions. The biggest thing we lost was that sense of community uh, that existed in the gas plant. So it's not just about putting back affordable housing. It's about supporting programs that help rebuild that sense of community wherever those families relocated to, which is mainly to the west and to the south.
0: So they they didn't go too far away. They're they're still in the sort of greater St. Pete area, many of them?
1: Most did. Most to the the Child's Park area or, or south Uh, to Camel Park, Barlet Park, what have
0: you. What's the most important aspect of your decision-making process then in the redevelopment of Tropicana Field? And we are going to talk a little bit about baseball later, but just thinking about this development, what goes through your mind as you weigh all the options here?
1: Well, it has to include some of the basic elements of the original RFP, which I think was well done, uh, but it needed to be updated. That was a couple years ago, and that's why I sent out you know, 15 additional questions to both of the, the remaining master development groups. What has changed in the last couple of years? And um, we did receive those responses. But housing is the issue of the day. No matter where you go in the country, uh, housing is the issue. I just returned a couple of days ago. I think I'm still on California time uh, from the US Council uh, Conference of Mayors Conference. And this is a problem in every city. You know, 25 20% increases in rent. Cash buyers, corporate buyers driving up the price of housing. And so we are not unique, but we do have some, I think, some good tools here. You know, we've uh, received the approval of the voters for the penny for Pinellas mm-hmm. uh, for the fourth term. So this is the 40th, <laughs> the fourth decade that the penny has been approved. Um, and when it was approved in 2017 for this period of 2020 through 2029. Uh, we included $82.5 million for affordable housing. And so we're using that as a local tool to leverage and help, you know, pay down the cost of affordable housing. Uh, you can see that in projects popping up around uh, around the city. Uh, last year, uh, more than a 1,000 units of affordable housing, affordable and workforce housing, were uh, developed in St. Pete. We just approved the first... A housing development under HB 1339 I believe uh, is the house bill that allows you to convert commercial or industrial property. This will be just south of the Gibbs High School site, and former Tibbetts Lumber. That'll be 264 units of affordable housing, some affordable to folks making
0: $12 an hour. What's the waiting list like then for people trying to get into those?
1: Huge waiting list because the supply just isn't meeting
0: the, the demand.
1: But we are being innovative in partnerships. Uh, we've got several hundred units of housing in the Tangerine Plaza, Deuces area that we're reviewing right now. And so we are making uh, headway and we're being intentional about having housing that for folks making that $20 an hour, $18 an hour, $15 an hour, uh, because half of our population uh, makes less than $25 an hour.
0: Let me just come back to something that um, Bishop Manuel Sykes, uh, senior pastor at the uh, Bethel Community Baptist Church, said about the gas plant plans, uh, the plans to redevelopment that area. He said it would be a form of restorative justice to go with JMA given the displacement that happened in the 1980s that you you referenced. Is that a good way to see this?
1: I have a great deal of respect uh, for all the pastors um, who wrote me that letter, who who took the time to go out to... Uh, Sacramento and uh, look at what uh, Sugar Hill and JMA have done. I agree uh, with the pastors about our responsibility to make sure that what we do there is equitable and addresses the history uh, of the gas plant area. I've also viewed Midtown in, in Miami, and the reason that I sent those additional questions out and have said as a candidate as a, and as mayor, we're going to uh, do our own analysis. Uh, of those proposals and see if they fit the vision of St. Petersburg, not the vision of the Rays or the vision of the developers, but does it fit the vision of St. Petersburg and what we want to be uh, in terms of inclusive progress for everyone going forward. And that's the lens that I view this from. And so I think the pastors make a lot of good points, and uh, I, I continue my evaluation.
0: Is there any kind of penalty there, though? I mean, if the, the former administration picked to develop already, like does the city have to pay a penalty if you go with somebody else?
1: We're reviewing every eventuality, every, every issue from a legal perspective, from a procurement perspective. But we are going to make the right decision for the community going forward. We're not going to be bound by any legal technicalities. Um, I think there's always a way to address those, and that's why we're taking our time and mapping out our, our next steps.
0: Uh, the, around the start of the year, or even before that, there was calls from some residents for rent control and guaranteed housing. You've talked a lot about affordable housing. I mean, that's, that's the kind of cornerstone of your campaign and, and what you're doing now. But if you can't get rent control through, because there are obviously some challenges and roadblocks to that. And aside from the affordable housing units that are going in and that you're, you're kind of pushing for more of those, as you point out, there is such high demand for affordable housing. How do you help those residents? What else can you do?
1: I am agnostic as to where good ideas come from. Um, Any idea that helps us get to the goal of housing affordability for everyone, you know, I'm willing to take a look at. Uh, I've been working on affordable housing for 20 years uh, as a county commissioner and now as mayor. Uh, The housing trust fund that we have that is funded, you know, more than 5,000 units of affordable housing throughout the county, we started in 06 in response to circumstances similar to this always want to make sure though that, number one, what we're doing is practical, it's legal, and it's going to have the impact um, and not just you know, send us down a, a, a path to litigation. Cities cannot impose effective rent control under state law. What we can do is put it on the ballot and there is a luxury provision saying that luxury housing is exempt. And if you base the, uh, and we've asked our uh, lawyers to look at this, if you base it on what the standard was when the law was enacted and account for, you know, um, CPI increases, basically anything over $1,200 a year, approximately, would be exempt. So what we believe would happen is folks would raise their rents to be $1,201.
0: Right, because, I mean, the the concept of luxury is probably you know it's getting further and further out right i mean like what is affordable you know that 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 those boundaries are getting pushed so far by rent and mortgage increases etc so it's just like
1: so we could fight that fight and i've been in enough of these to know that we could spend a whole lot of money fighting that uh the state can always come in and preempt they could they could change that value to a thousand and and we've seen this legislature okay or we can do what we know works and that's leveraging our Housing Trust Fund. We have, um, I've been to Washington twice um, already, spoke with Sef- Secretary Fudge in Housing and Urban Development. And if we can leverage the infrastructure dollars, the dollars that are in the bipartisan infrastructure bill, use those dollars to offset what we're spending to build our infrastructure, our St. Pete Water Plan. We're pulling $9 million a year out of the penny to do that. Conceivably, if we could get $9 million from Um, The infrastructure bill we could shift that over to affordable housing. It's it's those kinds of things that I think are more practical and it puts the the power within our hands to make sure that the developments happen rather than doing something speculative That's going to take time that will be legally challenged and at the end of the day You know that uh, loophole of of a luxury threshold really kills the whole effectiveness of of, um, of rent control one idea I did hear uh, from uh, the Tenants Union and from Councilmember Richie Floyd is this idea of tenant counsel, uh, which I fully support. And as that develops from Councilmember Floyd, I've already asked my staff to look at how we can support that. I think those are the kind of practical things we can do.
0: For our listeners, what, what is tenant counsel?
1: Uh, when uh, someone is threatened with eviction or other price increases without notice, those kinds of things, this would provide counsel for those folks.
0: Okay, so, so it's like a, a process they can go through to try and slow things down, or?
1: Legal counsel, and I think there are a number of options that that, that uh, attorney can bring to, to aid folks in, in uh, either slowing down that process or stopping the process. But bottom line is those are, there are a number of things we can do to, to attack the problem, but the biggest weapon we have is getting more units on the ground as quickly as
0: possible. You're listening to Florida Matters, we're talking with St. Petersburg Mayor Ken Welch about his priorities for his first term. The conversation continues in a minute. Welcome back to Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. St. Petersburg Mayor Ken Welch says his biggest priority is affordable housing, but it's not the only challenge facing the city. In a wide-ranging conversation we recorded with Welch at his office in City Hall, he talked about transportation, development, the threat of sea level rise and addressing gun violence, and what he won't compromise to keep the Tampa Bay Rays in St. Pete. I just want to come back to something you said on your during your Victory Night speech on election night. You said this, progress means affordability for the people who call St. Petersburg home, and you, you listed some of the things like housing, There were a number of other issues you pointed to there. I wonder if you could talk about some of those other things too, like transportation, for example, and healthy environments.
1: And they're all linked together. Uh, And what we've tried to do is make sure that we link housing to transportation to jobs. So one of the criteria for that $82.5 billion that's at the county level that we can access is that it's on a corridor that has transit. And Skyway Lofts is a good example of that on 34th Street. And linking those together, uh, one of the other great linkages, people talk about public safety. I like to link that to youth uh, opportunities and education uh, because the best investment you can make uh, in a safe community is making sure young people have real options uh, for their future. We've uh, had uh, youth summits talk to young people and what they tell us. We did this in the midst of the rash of shootings in 2021 and asked, you know, Number one, where are the guns coming from? Uh, And there are so many guns out there that I think we may have lost control of that piece of it. Because we had an elementary school uh, kid tell us we can get a gun on Snapchat in a half hour.
0: This this is recently?
1: This was uh, when I was a candidate last year, 2021. And so we've got to find a way to get those kids options that they can see and believe in in their neighborhoods. That's a path to public safety, but it goes back to youth opportunities, education, infrastructure, making sure we have facilities that are updated, that have the digital access. You know, dig- The digital divide was laid bare by, by the pandemic. Sure. You send kids home, tell them to work, well, they don't have a device or they don't have internet access. And I think one of the, the commonalities is poverty and the impact of poverty along with the prevalence of guns and the impacts of generational uh, discrimination and racism. All those things uh, we need to deal with. And then on the other (laughs) front, uh, the issue of sea level rise and 40% of our city being in a coastal high hazard area. Um, Those are the kind of real frank discussions we need to have and we need to move forward based on facts, data, and science.
0: And I want to talk about sea level rise and, and a little more on transportation, but just let me come back to that point you made about guns and the notion that maybe we've lost control of that part of the piece like that sounds a little final is there not are there not some things you can do as mayor or that your police department can do to try and make sure that you're restricting access to guns
1: no actually no we can't under state law and, and that's intentional that uh, the state has made it illegal for local officials to do virtually anything on guns um, and we can lose uh, lose our office and I, I believe we could be in prison and so that is, has that is tied the hands of local governments for years. So that's why we're focusing on getting to the mindset of our young people and directing them to a different path. I mean, we're obviously going to do, you know, law enforcement, try to be as proactive as we can. We've got programs to try to reach young people um, and connect them with the opportunities. The police department just gave out a number of scholarships as well. So we can do all those things, but we cannot regulate guns under, under Florida state law. That is intentional by the legislature and the governor. And obviously what we're seeing um, around the country with you know, access to military-grade weapons um, is a concern for the entire community. It's a concern for law enforcement as well. And so those things, uh, I, I don't pass the buck, but Congress needs to, to act on that. Simple things like a background check, we can't get that done. So we are trying to do what we can with the tools that we have and what we can do under the law at the local level.
0: If not restrictions, because as as you point out, there's a long history of of, um, local governments being preempted from doing that. But, I mean, thinking about just that, going back to that idea of a a, uh, primary school kid telling you they can get a gun on Snapchat, I mean, as far as enforcement goes, are there some tools that police can roll out to try and get ahead of that a little bit?
1: Our uh, law enforcement... um, is doing everything they can, including monitoring uh, social networks, and, um, but it's, a, it, it's an issue of volume, uh, what is already out on the streets. And please don't misunderstand, we're not never going to give up trying to enforce as much as we can to get um, guns off the street, but there are so many out there, and to exacerbate that, and this happens all across the country, folks leave guns and unlock cars. (laughs) No matter matter how many times you tell them that, lock your car and please don't leave your gun in it. Uh, Kids know that if they go through a neighborhood and they pull on doors, uh, a certain percentage of those are gonna be unlocked and then another percentage of those will have a gun in it. And that becomes um, what kids barter with. They're not necessarily using them to, to, uh, to do something criminal. They're using that to barter with other people. And, um, and so we all have a part in that. Do something as simple as lock your car, don't leave the gun in the car. That can be a step to making, the, making our community safer.
0: Let me come back to development. Um, the city council and business leaders have voiced support for zoning changes to boost development along the route of the Sunrunner, and that's the bus rapid transit system due to start later this year, I think. How do you make sure that everybody gets a, a fair slice of the action um, using that term, inclusive process, which is the phrase you've used in your campaign and, and going forward?
1: So um, I served on PSTA for a number of years uh, as their chairman, that's our transit service in Pinellas County, Um, and you may recall we had Greenlight Pinellas, I think, back in 2013, 2014, a referendum similar to what Hillsborough will have on the ballot again that would have uh, produced a 1% tax to fund transit. Uh, Tampa and St. Pete have the lowest funded
0: transit agencies in the nation. Yeah, and there's been some pushback to those initiatives in the past, right? They've been voted down.
1: But Tampa won the last, Hillsborough won the last time, but because of some technicalities, it was challenged by one of their own uh, county commissioners. But then the tool was light rail that would have connected us to, you know, west shore to the airport uh, and routes in southern Pinellas County. But for the first 10 years or so, while that rail was being developed, bus rapid transit would have been the mode of transportation. And that's for some reason, light rail became a political issue. The legislature opposed it. And so BRT can bring a lot of that same value, the same kind of transit-oriented development around the stops. Mm-hmm. And the Central Avenue corridor was picked because it's the highest attended route uh, that PSTA
0: has. I, I should just say, too, for our listeners, bus rapid transit is this effectively you have a, a, a route that's dedicated to the bus, so there's, there's less kind of traffic interference, and it makes fewer stops, Right.
1: And it has a dedicated lane, and it's not, uh, it's all off-board uh, payment uh, on an iPhone or through their app. Uh, it's not your, your grandfather's bus, it's a premium bus. And we're trying to get choice riders on it. And folks, right now, folks who ride the bus have to ride the bus. But
0: do you, do you want some of those folks who, who need to ride the bus on that BRT too? And, and I'm wondering if the fact that you have to have the off-board payment system is that a barrier to entry?
1: I don't think so. I mean, almost everyone has an iPhone, and if it, if it turns out to be an issue, I think there are ways around that. Issue a card, uh, debit card-type payment. But that route runs to the beaches, and a lot of folks that live um, in South St. Pete, for example, uh, work in the beaches. We, You know, I fought to keep a route there, a route now and back in the days, specifically because a lot of folks that work in the tourism industry uh, live in, in St. Petersburg. And that's just the first leg of it. It's the first premium route to receive um, federal and state uh, support. And it's the first BRT in Tampa Bay. But that's just the first route we're looking at now expanding it to 34th Street South. And we need to expand support for PSTA so we can have those connecting routes to get folks there.
0: You mentioned um, climate change and sea level rise um, a little earlier in our conversation. You know, a couple of years back, the city council, I think, voted to allow some development in flood-prone areas. How do you balance the need of higher growth and higher density with the fact that St. Pete is a a seaside city and there are issues you have to be aware of, whether it's climate change or flooding or other things?
1: You know, we have to follow the, the science, follow the facts and the data. And I think the bottom line is that will lead us to the conclusion that there's some places where we should not build. There's some places we can build with extra, you know, infrastructure and, and investments. And there's some places we ought to direct future development. Mm-hmm. And as we follow the you know, predictions of sea level rise and its impacts in the city, that should guide our planning. I think the proposal you're speaking to has some serious barriers uh, to overcome. And, and I think what council did pass had several levels of approval before anything could be approved. That increases density uh, in that uh, southeast region,
0: along with um, you know threats to infrastructure from sea level rise and flooding. You, you have other kinds of you know critical infrastructure like the sewage system, for example, the sewage system, and, and there have been some big problems in the past. They have, they,
1: they have. Fortunately, um, you know the the consent decree required, and, and the city did move forward uh, before I came on board with um, the Integrated Water Resources Infrastructure Plan, which has been renamed the St. Pete Water Plan, much easier to to say. But it basically fixes all the pipes and the plants at a cost of 3 to $4 billion. It's very expensive. It's over a couple of decades. And we've already started on that. I'm concerned at some point that affects affordability just as much as the price of rent if your water bill is going up 5% every year. And so again that's another reason that we are targeting those um, bipartisan infrastructure bill dollars to try to offset some of those price increases but the plan is there it's online it's a very in-depth plan it addresses what really was you know we didn't pay enough attention to our infrastructure because uh, elected officials don't like to go to ribbon cuttings for sewers they like to go to ribbon cuttings for, for skyscrapers and the next fancy thing but Uh, And it's not not unique to to St. Petersburg. This happened all over the country that we haven't invested in our infrastructure. That's why the infrastructure uh, bill is so important. Uh, And I'm I'm so glad the Biden administration got that done.
0: I want to come back to baseball for a moment. With the Tampa Bay Rays, do you want to keep them in St. Petersburg?
1: Absolutely, they should stay in St. Petersburg. Uh, So much has been sacrificed to get them here. And I think they understand that. So I think as St. Pete continues to expand our downtown and as you see that connection of what's happening downtown moving westward already and that connects with a new um, baseball uh, complex that is part of a vibrant downtown I think attendance will increase I think it'll be a, a, a way that folks could spend an entire day in the community and then actually walk out and spend dollars elsewhere in the community it doesn't happen now at the TROP simply because of its design and I think as we improve our transportation connections around Tampa Bay, like the BRT, like the new Howard Franklin that you can see being constructed right now that has not only a dedicated lane for uh, BRT on it, but also has the underpinning to support light rail at the cost of $25 million. So transportation and getting to uh, the new ball field will be better. And that's why I believe that's uh, the best place for a new raised ball field.
0: What are you not willing to give up or compromise in order to keep the the Rays on the side of the bay?
1: The vision for what the gas plant is and what it means. That land is not uh, owned by baseball. Baseball can be a part of the vision going forward, but it does not dominate the vision going forward.
0: Ken Welch, Mayor of St. Petersburg, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And that's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at WUSFnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.